Often we make resolutions this time of year. Uh, we make fresh resolve to make positive changes in our lives. It might be weight loss or personal fitness or we decide to quit something like smoking or drink less. Uh, or perhaps we decide to just try to be nicer people, to be more patient, more kind, more understanding. Maybe less critical or judgmental or less lazy. Whatever the fresh resolution is, New Year's just seems the right time to do it, right? It's a new year, new opportunity, a fresh beginning. There's never a bad time to resolve to be holy. Peter reminds us in 1 Peter 1, 13 to 16, that God has always wanted this of his people. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you was holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now I realize that uh, we've all had lots of turkey and lots of sweets and we're probably uh, mentally a little groggy, but... Uh, we actually did start this series the Sunday before Advent. And at that time, I laid down some tracks, some foundational teaching about why we're doing this and some, just some basic definitions. And I just wanted to give you a quick um, lesson on those really quick just to remind you. First of all, why we're looking at personal holiness is that um, we have been called by Christ to be a holy priesthood, to serve our church and to serve this community as servants of God. And therefore, there's a call to be holy in that service. We looked at Hebrews 10.10, where the writer claims that we are holy. He says, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So very clearly, we are holy. But then the writer, same writer, just a few chapters later, says in Hebrews 12, 14, that we are becoming holy. He writes, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So we saw the scripture. The scripture teaches us that it's clear that we are both holy and we are becoming holy. To explain this, I used an example of fatherhood. There are fathers who are by uh, biology fathers, and there are fathers who are uh, because of legality fathers, those who have adopted children. And so we know that even though you can be a biological father or an adoptive father, there's more to being a father than just that, more than just DNA or more than just some legal document. In order to be a father, um, 
we, we really have to work hard at the process of nurturing and raising a child. And let's face it, it it's a process of success and failures, but it is a process. And so just like fatherhood or motherhood, holiness is both a status and it is a process that God calls us to. Followers of Jesus Christ are holy, but through commitment and effort and the enabling of the Holy Spirit, we become holy. So we, we acknowledge the reason why this is such a big job. Uh, Paul writes, make every effort. <laughs> it, it, it's an effort. And the reason for that is that we are by nature sinful. And therefore, it's a challenge for us to be holy. It's a challenge for us to be like Christ, who is holy, or to be like God, who is holy. So even though we become holy through Christ, and we've been given all the tools to become holy, it still requires a lot of work on our heart because, on our part, because we are by nature sinful. Today I'm going to start with a quote from a, a, a theologian, a pastor, speaker, uh, who was around at, at the turn of the last century. His name is J.C. Ryle. And he wrote a book entitled Simply Holiness. And it's helpful, and it'll be helpful to me in putting together sermons on holiness, and helpful, I hope, to you as well, as, you, as we come to terms with what it means to be holy and what it takes to be holy. Ryle says these words, there are three things according to the Bible that are absolutely necessary to the salvation of every man and woman in Christendom. There are three things. They are justification, regeneration, and sanctification. Three big words. Justification, regeneration, and sanctification. And all, although all three of these never end up in one sort of sentence, regeneration is, is actually not found in Scripture, but it, the concept of being born again is. Um, justification is a biblical word. Sanctification is a biblical word as well. But they don't end up in a sentence and, you know, nobody said, Jesus didn't say, in order to be saved, you must be justified, you must be regenerated, and you must be sanctified. There are scriptures throughout the New Testament that speak very strongly about the fact that they are all part of the process of being saved or being right with God. So, I want to start with justification. Justification obviously has to do with justice. Uh, justice has been served. And as we just were reminded by Dale, justice was served uh, when Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, the perfect human, paid the penalty for our sin. And it's because of that we are enabled to be right with God because we accept his righteousness on our part. He did the work for us. And so justification, uh, Grudem says, uh, Wayne Grudem wrote these words, it's an instantaneous legal act. And I think it's good to think of it in legal terms 
because then it, it sort of makes it sort of a, a very concrete thing that happens. Justification is a, a legal act of God in which he thinks of our sins as forgiven and Christ's righteousness as belonging to us. And so we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ and we are justified before God. And so justification is the first part of salvation. Scripture, Paul, in Romans 4.25, he says, He, Jesus, was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life so that we could be justified before a holy God. And so the legal transaction has occurred if we accept his justification. We accept his righteousness on our behalf. The penalty was paid by Jesus Christ to appease a holy God because there was an outstanding debt, a debt that needed to be righted and paid, and Christ did that for us. So that's what justification is. Regeneration is easier to maybe to understand because it's, it's you know, in, in certain circles in Christendom, you hear about being born again. So at justification, when we are justified by Christ, Scripture teaches us that we become entirely new creations or new creatures. Wayne Gruden, once again, says, Regeneration is a secret act of God in which he imparts new spiritual life to us. And this is sometimes called being born again. Jesus used that term when he was talking about to Nicodemus. In, in secret, he was speaking to a Pharisee who was like, man, I don't understand you, but I know you're onto something here. Please explain. And so Jesus said to him, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And so we have to be born again. So we are justified and we are regenerated or born again. And those are two significant parts of salvation. Now there's a critical distinction that we have to make between those two, justification and regeneration, and the next one, which is really the reason I'm talking about this this morning, because it is the foundation or it is the way in which we become holy, sanctification. The difference between the first two and sanctification is that justification and regeneration happen simultaneously and instantly upon conversion. So when I say, Lord, I believe that I'm a sinner. Lord, I need your salvation. I need to accept your justification on my part. I need to accept your willingness to pay for my sins. When we do that, we are justified before a holy God. We are regenerated. We are born again. And it's instantaneous. However, at the same time, a process begins. And this is the difference between these three things that are so much a part of salvation. At that moment, also, sanctification begins. It's not something that's just all at one time, all given to one. It begins at that moment 
of regeneration and justification. And that's a huge difference. But it is at that moment that we begin the process of sanctification. So the definition of sanctification, according to Grudem, just to be technical, is that it is a progressive work, a progressive work of God and man. And that's a really interesting thing. We can't justify ourselves. We can't regenerate ourselves. But we can be a part of the process of sanctification. It's a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and more like Christ in our actual lives. I'll say it again. It's a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and more like Christ in our actual lives. Paul again writing about sanctification. God chose you as firstfruits. He's writing to the Corinthians, the, the, those who have been saved. He says, God chose you as firstfruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through the belief in the truth. So you see there are two things. The sanctifying work of the Spirit is salvation, and the belief in the truth is salvation. Ryle goes on to say, something that is very provocative, and uh, it's provocative because a lot of the church within Christendom would disagree with what he says. Uh, and I agree with what he says because I believe it's, it's, it's definitely borne out in, in Scripture. But he says these words, he who lacks any one of these three things is not a true Christian in the sight of God. And dying in that condition will not be found in heaven and glorified in the last day. So what is so pro pro provocative about this statement is that large parts of the church today, as well as not to mention the secular world, would suggest that what we do in this life has no bearing on eternity. Wide swaths of the population of the world don't believe that there's anything after this life anyways. But then there's others who would suggest that, really like the Beatles say, all you need is love, right? Or others have said, all you have to do is be disciplined and live a good moral life, and you will live an eternal, you will live in eternity, in eternity with God. Well, Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. What Ryle is suggesting is a narrow gate. <laughs> Salvation requires justification, regeneration, and sanctification. We're made holy, which is justification and regeneration. Our status is holy. We were unholy, we were lost, we were blind, we were spiritually dead, but we have been regenerated, and at that point, we are becoming holy, which is the process of sanctification. Remember, Hebrews 12, 14, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. But sadly, within the church, 
people sometimes pick and choose between these three essential things of salvation. There are those, uh, firstly, who contend that being born again, they, they have all that they need to be right with God. They've said the prayer, they've been baptized, and they feel that that's, that's it. That's, I'm good. I'm good with God, and I can live my life however I want to live my life. To these folks, I would ask, why then would God send his Holy Spirit to indwell them? Why would then God give them the word of God to transform them? Why would he give the body of Christ to help nurture them? You see, saying the prayer and being baptized, and then choosing never to change, never to be like Christ, being the same person you were the moment you came up out of that water 30 years later, just says that there's something wrong, <laughs> that you have left off a very important part of salvation, and that is the process of sanctification. Listen to what Paul writes in the book of Philippians. Therefore, my dear, dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You've got to keep working at this. It's not just being a confession, a baptism, and then you live life for yourself. If that's your understanding of salvation, I think you're on very shaky ground when it comes to your eternal destiny. Secondly, another error is that people will contend that good works and, and disciplining oneself to be good is, is all you need to do to be right with God. So just like the first people, the, the first group that I talked about, these people kind of believe that regeneration is all that they need for salvation. Right? Being born again, and then nothing else has to happen. These folks, they believe that sanctification is all you need for salvation. I just need to do good works and, and try to be disciplined and try to be a good person. But what they're doing is they're leaving off the fact that they need to be justified by God. They have to receive God's gift of salvation and be baptized. So, to these folks, I would suggest that without justification and regeneration, there is no salvation. Because Scripture is very clear. Your very best efforts at being holy are inadequate. Scripture couldn't be any more clear. Paul writes in Ephesians 2, For it is by grace, grace, that's a gift, that you have been saved through faith, this is not from yourselves. It is, not, it is the gift of God, not by works. It's not something you've done to earn salvation. No one can boast that they have worked hard and really tried to be like Christ and spent their life trying to be like Christ. Many of these people have a real problem with the idea 
that they're sinful. They won't accept that they're sinful. <laughs> and therefore, they feel their efforts are good enough. To suggest that our personal efforts can save us is to say to Christ, when you think about it, you died for nothing. <laughs> like, if I, can, if I can be holy, if I can be right with God through my own effort, why did Christ come and die on a cross? It doesn't make any sense at all. Why did he do that? So those are two kind of concerns within the church as a whole, and I'm talking church universal, of kind of just accepting one or two of the three essentials of salvation. As we've seen in Scripture, salvation requires justification, accepting, accepting our atonement from Christ, it requires regeneration, being born again, and it requires sanctification, that process of willfully working to become like Christ. Now, I have to admit that because sanctification, the thing that we're mostly concerned about in our series, because it's a process that starts when you're born again, it is natural, of course, to ask well, how much is enough for salvation? You know, there's the, the argument that the thief on the cross, he, he didn't, he wasn't sanctified, I guess. He didn't really have time to be sanctified. Uh, he, he asked for Christ's forgiveness on the cross while they were both dying. And Christ said to him, you're saved. He said, you'll be with me in paradise today. But that's not a really great argument against the idea that is the essential nature of sanctification. He didn't have an opportunity. He was at that moment. The process of sanctification started, for sure. But obviously, it was cut short by his death. You know, we are all in different places, and we all go at different paces. We all have periods of time wasted, if not outright rebellion and rejection of the truth. We all have times in the desert where we, we see no progress or have no energy for sanctification. But the fact of the matter is that we still embrace the idea and accept the idea that we need to be proceeding towards the perfection that Christ and only Christ can give. Will we ever be perfect in this life? Absolutely not. But at the same time, we move in that direction. Why? Because that's what Jesus tells us to do. It's obedience. And I would suggest, secondly, we do it out of love. We love him. It's, cool. it's gratitude. You've saved me. My goodness. I will give my life to you. I will surrender all to you. I will move towards becoming more and more like you. I will put every effort toward it because I'm so grateful. And just to be a little bit more clear about this idea of the essential nature of sanctification, I would point you to the words of Jesus. 
who often suggested that not engaging in the process of sanctification has eternal consequences. For instance, not doing anything productive with the one talent. Not producing fruit even when attached to the vine. Not turning the word of God into a harvest. Christ says all leads to spiritual death. Let me say that again. Not doing anything productive with the talent that you've been given. Not producing fruit even when attached to the vine. Not turning the word into a harvest. These are all parables that Jesus used to talk about the Christian experience, life in the kingdom of God. All lead to spiritual death. He said the servant who buried his talent was thrown out of the kingdom. He said the branch that bore no fruit was cut off the vine. And he said the seed that landed on the weed, that landed in the weeds, but it sprung up, was choked. So I would suggest instead of sort of philosophizing, because sanctification is a process, instead of trying to figure out what's enough for salvation, I would say that's totally up to God. And I would suggest instead of kind of giving this sort of this attitude of I, I need to figure this out as if I'm going to just give as much as is required, we embrace the, the heart of I, I want to do this. I, I, I'm committed to this. I, it's the least that I can do because you have saved me. You have justified me. You have regenerated me. You've made me born again. You, you, you've made me a new creation. And I am more than happy to pursue it. I want to read some scriptures just about uh, six individual scriptures, and then add a few closing thoughts. John 17, 19, Jesus said, For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Ephesians 5, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church, and gave himself up to her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. Titus 2, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. 1 Peter 2, he himself bore our sins in the body of the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviors, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free of accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope that, held, that, that is held out in the gospel. 
Philippians 2, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then finally, Hebrews 5. We have much to say about this, but it's, it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish between good and evil. All of these scriptures speak to that process of becoming holy, of allowing the Holy Spirit to work within us to become more and more like Jesus Christ. It is the natural path for those who truly believe and who truly accept and understand their salvation. Sometimes we in the church think that personal holiness is just for the fanatics, the zealots, the enthusiasts. You know, oh yeah, those guys, they're, they're all about holiness. They're, you know, they're getting serious about this and that. But that's, you know, we don't like to get excited about that. Well, the fact of the matter is that I believe that it is one of the three things that makes up our salvation. Perhaps you have relied on only one of the three essentials of salvation. Maybe you have figured that because you confessed and were baptized, you are on solid ground with God. You've not considered the process of sanctification to be binding. You're the same person today that you were on the day that you were baptized. And this morning, I would plead with you to consider the essential nature of sanctification. Perhaps you've seen Christ as a great moral teacher and have patterned your life after his, seeking to love and serve others as Christ did, but you cannot accept that you are by nature sinful and need to be transformed in your inner man. You need to be reborn. This morning I would plead with you to consider the essential nature of justification. Salvation requires all three, justification, regeneration, and sanctification. Our focus in this series will be on the process of sanctification, of how we move from that day one of being justified, being in a legal status of rightness with God, everything's good, being Regenerated, become a new, becoming new creations. Our subject, our attention will focus on what then? How then do we move forward and increasingly become like Christ? How do we become holy? This morning, I hope I've emphasized the essential nature of all three aspects of salvation. And primarily, my objective really is 
that we would understand the importance of sanctification, that it's not an optional thing for those who are zealots, but it is for each one of us who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It is a daily pursuit that we undertake through the power of the Holy Spirit and the support of the body of Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you absolutely that you have this or had this great plan of, of salvation for us that before the creation of the world you chose us, you had a plan where you would send your son Jesus Christ that he would be blameless, perfect, sinless and as such would be the second Adam that his work on the cross of justification for us would have universal consequences for those who would believe and accept it. And so we are so grateful as recipients of justification. And Lord, we thank you that you have made us new creations, new creatures who have the inherent ability to overcome our sin nature. And we thank you, Lord, for the gift of the Holy Spirit who enables us to become holy, to become like you. We thank you for the body of Christ, which we've experienced here this morning and which we will continue to experience as we, as a church, pursue holiness through the process of sanctification. Help us, Lord, to take seriously this calling to be holy as you are holy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. May God richly bless you. Happy New Year.